Well, we're uh, actually entering the very last part of this journey of Mark. Quite a journey he's given us. I've enjoyed the book of Mark. How about you guys? I've enjoyed it so much that I just want to start back over again. Let's turn back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> As I, I try to contemplate, Bob was just telling me, what are you going to be doing next? And I'm thinking, oh my, I have to think of another book to do. So we're going to look at Mark 1.1, where it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Is that a good place? We couldn't have that enough, could we? (laughs) Uh, That's what Mark set out to do. And I think he proved his point. I think he proved that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we have seen that week after week after week after week. And um, it's remarkable. It just builds up and builds up and builds up. And today, actually, we are going to look at the last 12 verses of this wonderful, action-filled book that has been so immediate. And it's been so abrupt, immediate, that it's just like we finished last week in verse 8. And it says, They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They trembled, they were astonished, they were afraid. Boom. And that was our resurrection day. (laughs) Now we are going to continue with that resurrection this morning, as you see the title, The Appearances of the Resurrected uh, Christ. And... It's interesting. Um, what we're going to do this morning is actually go through 9 through 20. But um, we know that the language here is, I think, very dramatic. I believe it also was very shocking. I think that's what Mark wanted to do as he brings out their trembling, their astonishment, and the, the fear that they have. I think they're absolutely gripped by the wonder of the resurrection. Now, when you want to outline the Gospels, it's really the life of Christ, that's His works, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, where we have life, death, burial, the resurrection, and then the ascension. And, of course, this morning we're going to look at the appearances we're going to look at the resurrection, resurrected Christ, and then also the ascension. We've seen the death, the burial, the resurrection, continue on that, and then the ascension. That's pretty well the much of the story. We've seen that all the way through, uh, as Mark has uh, put that forth. It's interesting, in, in verse 8, it's just like they're speechless because of the resurrection. And, and you have to like this. They said nothing to anyone. It's not that they didn't go on and tell the disciples, but there is another sense that at that point in time, they were so astonished, they... What else? What can they say? I mean, this is the most supernatural thing they've ever seen. And it was just so hard to believe. Mark shuts this down, possibly. This is a controversial issue, has been for 2,000, well, I'll say 1,900 years. 
because, and, and I don't want you to uh, take me wrong whenever I first talk about this. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to be dogmatic about it. I'm just going to let you think about it because I think that's what most do. I had difficulty finding commentaries on verses 9 through 20. It frustrated me because it was like they would do 16, 1 through 8, must have been on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday or something. And then, boom, that was it. And they must have went to another book after that, these expositors. Because <laughs> they, they say nothing on 9 through 20. I'm going, oh, come on, give me a break. Tell me something about it. And most don't. Some do. Very few. <laughs> at least what I was looking at. I kid you not. It's, uh, I, I need a little help here. Help, help. And so I just kept reading the text all week, basically is what I do. That's about all the time I had, to be honest. And I just read the text and go through that and um, realize that verse 8, according to many, is where the gospel ends. Now, you know that I believe, and you guys believe, in the infallible, inerrant, complete, authoritative, sufficient, effective, determinative Word of God. <laughs> right? Absolutely. All that. <laughs> Can you guys say that? <laughs> no, somebody says, oh, I believe in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, right? <laughs> and I believe in every word, and so, uh, and, and I'm not liberal in what, in what matter at all. And I'm not even going to make that much of an issue out of this 9 through 20. But I do want to just at least go over this and not just stop like those guys do. I have to cover it all, and sometimes I get into trouble. When I get into controversial issues, even with people I know, and I don't try to, folks, I never try to make anyone mad or try to be controversial with you and and try to attack uh, maybe your doctrine. I try to stay away from those issues if I can. Uh, But when it comes to a verse that has to be discussed, it's there, I have to tackle it. I have to do the very best that I can and honor the Lord in the way that I know best. Uh, There can be some secondary issues that uh, I need to be corrected on because I know that I am not perfect and I do not have it all together. But on primary issues, I better have all of that right. I better be perfect on all those primary issues, the ones that mean everything. Now, there are... Uh, there are places to graze out in um, the fields of grace in the Word of God where there are disagreements in the body of Christ. Disagreements, right? In, in, in little local fellowships. That's okay. We're here to encourage each other on. And so whenever I bring an issue that seems kind of strange or I don't know about this, you check it out first, examine it, and it's worth talking about. It's great to talk about uh, boy, I've done that for years and years with people, and, and usually with uh, with people in, who are in Christ, they can they can do that. They can talk and discuss about it. Still disagree. Uh, the church has disagreed on this for a long time. They don't know. Don't we don't know? And I never want to say something is not inspired. So I'm going to leave that open. I'm also going to leave it open to the fact that nine through twenty, according to historians, according to ancient manuscripts that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and according to early church fathers, uh, even all the way up through Reformation and such, will say that 9 through 20 was added on. And I have to be very careful of that because you know that I believe in infallible. We have the Word of God here. 
uh, I will tell you these are precious truths. They are principles. There's really nothing here that we can say is wrong, even if it was added on. And I'm not even pressing that issue, okay? So don't think for a minute that Dennis is saying, oh, this is really not to be in the Bible. I can't really say that for sure, but I can say that it is possible that what what happened, if Mark finished this at verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Boom! That's it. You would go, wow! Is that it? Well, remember Mark... Mark is immediate in everything. Do you remember Mark from the very get-go didn't even get into the birth of Christ? He went right to, this is about the Son of God, and boom, you're into the, the, the John the Baptist thing, and Jesus is already in His ministry. That's Mark. I mean, he's quick. Immediately they went. You know, I mean, it's just constant moving on to the next thing. It's very possible that it comes to right there at the end, and that's it. Trembling, astonishment, they have fear, they are awed. The resurrection is there, and people had trouble with that because what kind of ending is that? Have you ever seen a movie that just ended, you can say, and it frustrated you? Because you go, what about, what happened after that? But the main point was put forth, but you wonder, okay, I really want to know, and there's no part two. You know, you're looking for part two to come. Yeah, in two years I'll have another one. Well, actually, Mark has other gospel writers, friends, that are going to come along too, like uh, Matthew and Luke and John, and they give us the rest of the story. Although the rest of the story is here, and we see it in 9 through 20, so that's okay. So either way. But the reason I'm telling you is that you will have footnotes probably in your Bible. And that might bother you. Um, because you can say, well, if this is not in the Bible, then why is it here? And it, it definitely uh, contains a lot of Greek words that Mark does not use. There are internal evidences. There are external evidences that it possibly is not uh, was not there originally when Mark put it there. Uh, so people come along, they see this ending, and they say there has to be something. And what they did is they summed it up. And it's awkward when you come out of 8 into 9. It's awkward no matter what. But when you come out of 8 and you go into 9, you'll see brackets there in your Bibles probably. Do you see those there? That's a re- I'm taking time to explain this because you're going to see the footnotes and say, well... They're explaining here something here. I don't know, Dennis. This looks kind of strange. That the, you know, I got some uh, some liberal Bible here or what? Uh, probably not. Um, the reason is is that in the original or those ancient manuscripts, we know that the original has no errors whatsoever, and you can be ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure that everything you have here is true. We have translations. We don't have the original manuscripts, but I can tell you God inspired every one of those from one word to the next all the way to the end. So I'm making that clear. We do have translations that will vary. They'll have different words. We know that in Bible studies. They say, well, my Bible says this. Well, you, you have the inspired Word of God. The thing is, is that we've had to translate, and it's been 2,000 years. There is no mistakes. There are no mistakes in the Bible, in, in the Word of God, ultimately. And... and 
and so they, they want to add this on. I'm glad it's here. It, it helps us. There's no problem. I have no problem with it. Well, what did they need to add? You have an empty tomb, don't you? What else do you have? You have the angel uh, uh, angels uh, announcing the good news. You have the eyewitnesses, right? You have all those. And Mark started this whole thing out in chapter 1, verse 1, to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? And, and He is the Son of God. He is God. Did He make His point? Are you convinced? Well, that 16 chapters there, right? Was it enough? Yeah, certainly was. What the apostles wrote down was exactly what God intended for them. They wrote it down. Uh, God never promised that those original manuscripts would be preserved because of uh, cor- uh, the corrupt corruptness as far as weather is concerned. Those wear down. We don't have the originals, but I can tell you, we have some that go all the way back to the 2nd century. We have many that... We have 25,000 manuscripts. No religion, no other secular sources can even come close. I'm giving you the infallible, inerrant Word of God, right? It's just that, okay, there are differences in certain texts, but even then, 99%, they are agreed upon. And so what about that other 1%? And this is where you have um, certain evidences. You have to look at the context. You have to look at that Greek, and sometimes the Greek can go one of two ways. And that's why in certain translations, it seems like there are variances there. Uh, finally, there has to be whoever's translating to put it in what modern version we have. They have to make a decision which way they're going to go. That's very rare. Never do you see the deity of Christ challenged in, in Scripture. Uh, you know, if that is, then you've got really problems with your Bible. Uh, you take the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Uh, I mean, just go on and on. The major doctrines, all the major doctrines, uh, there, there are no discrepancies whatsoever in any of those. So um, when you see that those Bible references there, uh, it's okay. That's all right. Uh, they're just giving you here's here's kind of how we got the Bible, and it's amazing what we have. There are no mistakes in the original manuscripts. Sinclair Ferguson, who I respect highly, made a statement on this too about this extra ending. He said it is not difficult to see how, for example, some verses might be added to Mark's gospel. If someone had copied out the text and realized that it had, as Mark's Gospel does, a rather sudden ending, verse 8, they might well add an appendix summarizing some of the relevant teaching of the other Gospels or the different traditions of the church. Ferguson goes on to say, it seems likely that this happened in the case of Mark since the two most reliable early manuscripts of the end of Mark's Gospel conclude at verse 8 with the words, because they were afraid. And these do not include verses 9 through 20. Uh, The two most important manuscripts he was referring to was the Sinaiticus and the uh, Vaticanus. And ancient manuscripts... They were discovered, you know, within the, the last hundred years or so, and uh, they don't have them. Eusebius, a historian, later on, Jerome, wrote that uh, almost all of the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament end at verse 8. 
Did they know that these other endings existed? Yeah, they sure did, even at that time. Matter of fact, you can go all the way back to the 2nd century, which is maybe, let's say, 150, uh, 150 A.D. Justin Martyr, uh, Tatian, Irenaeus. They knew about this extra ending. And uh, they even mention, matter of fact, they even quote from it. Uh, they knew they existed. They existed very early. So it was added on, if that be the case, uh, early on. So what do we do with it? Well, we just march on through and do verse by verse because there's not going to be anything here that would be inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. Matter of fact, uh, it would uh, support other things that are there. Uh, what we're going to look is what can we say about the truths taught in here. Only one thing that is not mentioned in any other Scripture, if you were to look at verse 18, they will pick up serpents, and even that, we, uh, Paul had picked up a serpent, you remember, uh, got bitten and, and he wasn't poisoned. He didn't die or anything. He was supposed to be died and he just nothing bothered him. And here's one you don't see in any other Scripture. Just one little phrase here. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And there are certain people that will base a whole doctrine, base their whole church, their whole denomination, on this little fringe statement about drinking deadly poison or picking up snakes. You've heard of the snake handlers? Those churches down in uh, Tennessee and all Mississippi and all down in the south, probably even Missouri, Arkansas. We've heard of those stories and we kind of chuckle, but there have been people that have died because they picked up these deadly snakes and they're saying, well, hey, it's biblical and uh, they, they want to show off in their miracles. So they, that's all they do in their snake handling services. It's like some kind of a magic act. And that's absolutely ridiculous. And to base something off of a little verse where you don't see it anywhere else and the, the deadly poison, uh, I have heard where people have drank poison just because it said this verse right here. And so they took that, and guess what? Yeah, they died. Um, you have to be careful about verses that uh, are, are fringe, or you don't have something that you can solidly put on. You don't build a whole theology around it. You have to be very careful. So uh, we must have more support. And uh, by the way, these were signs. These were signs, and, and we'll get to that in a moment, that proved that uh, the New Testament... Uh, that would come along later is true. What the apostles spoke was true. What what they were doing was true. And it supported that. So one of the uh, interesting features in verses 9 through 20 as we get ready to go into that this morning is the repetition of certain terms. And I kind of have it in the title. It's, and it's dealing with appearances. In verse 9, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then in verse 12, after that, he appeared in a different form to two of them. So there's the Emmaus disciples. And in verse 14, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves. And then we know that, um, then there's the ascension. There are appearances that Christ makes after his resurrection. And of course, those prove. And, and are the very grounds for people believing in the resurrection because they seen. What if they all talk about a resurrection and you don't have any witnesses that can attest to the fact that he did resurrect? And they say, well, he was supposed to resurrect, so evidently he did. But you didn't have any witnesses. Well, I don't think we would have much uh, 
backbone to proclaim the gospel if we didn't have witnesses, right? That's what they were all excited about because they had seen the resurrection and look in the book of Acts and that's the pattern on throughout. Uh, the death, burial, and the resurrection. They had seen Him after He had resurrected. So that's a main point and that's what we get in 9 through uh, uh, 20. Uh, the resurrection. Now after He had risen early on the first day of the week, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom He had cast out seven demons. So in this, it's like they sum up, they come back to verse 1 when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, and, and then you have the other women. And then it comes back now after it had risen early. And so you have that now. It's Whatever it is, it seems uh, slightly awkward. It, we could say it finishes at verse 8, boom, we're done. But then we wouldn't be here talking this morning because I wouldn't have a message because I wouldn't know what book to go to. <laughs> I was almost thinking that as I looked at all those commentaries which I needed help with. Especially this. I will say, he chose to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene first. She was the first woman, the first person to see the risen Lord. Now I think that is very significant. Not to Peter, not to John, not to Andrew, Not to James, not to the rest of the apostles, but to Mary Magdalene, the first one who gets to see the risen Lord. I think that is rather magnificent. I think it says a lot. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. Seven demons. You ever heard of people being demonically possessed? Seven demons. Jesus had cast them out. She never forgot about it. I'm telling you, she had to be in the devil's grip. All the way. I mean, and she probably had to have just lived a horribly wicked, evil life. Can you imagine? I mean, she is the epitome of a very sinful person. And then one day she meets up with a man named Jesus. Jesus cast the demons out of her, sets her free. She's been held in bondage and be she was so much in captivity, there was no way that she could get out of this. Only Jesus. And He delivers her and we know that there are some people and we could probably all identify and we said, maybe we didn't go as far as what she did, but I'll tell you what, we were still in the same place imprisoned in captivity into deep dark sin and Christ comes in and changes the life dramatically can you guys identify with that and then some people say yeah but you don't know me you don't know where I came from the Lord um, certainly can bring the worst out what a wicked condition she must have been in I think that's one of the reasons why Possibly that she is the first one who gets to see that. Secondly, I think because she was really the first one there at the tomb on that morning. And so, well, the other women were with her. Yeah, but Mary went ahead of them. She's a little bit quicker. And there she is, the the one at the tomb. The disciples uh, are not there. The women are not there. She's there alone. And she gets a special blessing. And I think that broken heart that she has to have because she loves the Lord so much. Those who are forgiven much 
What do they do? They love much. Oh, how she loved the Lord. And there she is mentioned right here in our passage and uh, other places. Mary went to tell the disciples of the risen Lord and they didn't believe her. (laughs) That's what it says. She went and reported to those who had been with Him while they were mourning and weeping. They shouldn't have been mourning and weeping. When they heard that He was alive, hadn't they heard that Don Francisco song by now? (laughs) He's alive! When they had heard that He was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. (laughs) Now these guys are believers, but they refuse to believe one of the most important things, probably the most important thing of the Gospel. They could not believe it in their own own flesh. You have to believe in the resurrection and, and the Lord's going to make sure that they do believe it. He's just kind of a little upset at them, perplexed that they don't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> That's, you'll see that in another verse or two. They just couldn't believe it. Oh, how the flesh is. There are certain things that the Lord does and it's just kind of hard to believe. I, I heard... Um, I heard a missionary once that worked at our store for a little while. I'll never forget this. And I've told it before. I'm still astonished that a missionary would have told me what they did. And this is where experience runs into troubles. They were doing missionary work in China, teaching English. And there are a lot of Chinese students who are very brilliant have a high intellect. You know, the mathematics and such that they do. They um, told him about Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He believed. There's one thing he couldn't believe in. Guess what? It was a resurrection. Uh, It was his intellect. And so he said it was. He says, in my intellectual mind, I cannot believe that. That he would rise from the dead. Now, he could believe all the other stuff, but he couldn't believe that. If God, who created the world, did that, and we can believe that, why couldn't we believe that God also has His Son die and then comes back out of the grave? Well, this young man said, no, I can't believe that. Well, the missionaries, then because of their love for Him, they saw how sincere He was, though He was sincerely wrong, they kept saying, yeah, but we know He was a believer. But I said, yeah, but at the very heart of the Gospel, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, resurrection. The resurrection. What was the message given in the book of Acts all the way throughout? In the preaching of the Gospel, the highlight is the resurrection. They knew that. You have to believe in that. If you have a problem with that, then you cannot be a believer. You can say, oh, Dennis, if somebody wants to, to do that. If they believe all the other stuff, I have to say that they're a believer, but they don't believe in the resurrection. That's that's the major point of all. Yeah, but their hearts are right. No, they're not. Their minds are so intellectually filled with their own... They could not, they will not believe. And I say to that person, hey, they have the right intentions for all the other stuff, but they have a major problem. They're still in their sins. If you don't believe in the resurrection, that's just from the Gospel. Say, Dennis, you're being awful sharp. 
Well, this is what Scripture says. I'm not going to take it from my own conversation and say, well, this is what I know about them and I'm going to decide that they're okay. They're with Christ because they believe all the other stuff. They just have a little hang-up with that. And I, I challenged her. I said, look, here's what it says in Scripture. Yeah, but he was so good. and we, we, we know his heart was right. And I said, I cannot believe that. I will not believe that. I will not believe that. And so... Um, that's a failure of bringing out the heart of the gospel. And that's what I'm afraid that missionaries do so often. They'll give everything except what the heart of the gospel is. And that people are sinners and they are in the need of a Savior because of their deep, dark sin, the very depravity of man, and the holiness of God and the law convicts them and condemns them. And they need a Savior. They, they need that. That has to be done. That's the heart. Sometimes it's done in stages. It's done in over time, over a long period of time. But somewhere along the line, all of those things have to be there. And, and then we see that you're justified. That resurrection is there. I go to a great lengths with that um, because on those things, we can't give in. We can't give in on anything that are primary doctrines. This is primary as it gets. So anyway, they refuse to believe, it says in 10 and 11. But it's good. They are believers and we'll see that Christ will make sure that they believe. (laughs) Whoever are His, He will make sure. Aren't you glad He's sovereign? Otherwise, you know what? None of us would have believed in the resurrection. None of us. We wouldn't have. We couldn't have. Our minds are too intellectual. And it doesn't make sense. Although you have to use reason. That's part of it. But finally it comes to faith, doesn't it? And finally we have to say, okay, here's where my mind stops and here's where I have to continue to believe. But it's based on facts. It's not blind faith. Don't ever think that you have blind faith. You have it all right here. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them. Oh, we love that story. The Emmaus disciples. This is a good summary, isn't it? I just love that. I can't read enough of that. Jesus appeared to disciples. They're walking, uh, you know, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They've been there. It's seven miles away. I want you to f- focus on this. Go to uh, East End Gerbs. Walk from there all the way out to, let's say, the mall. Would you say it's about seven miles? Is that guessing? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Now just walk that. Now I know some of you here do that all the time. You don't think anything of it. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. There are others, like me, would consider that to be a long marathon. And I just am not going to do that. (laughs) Unless I have to. I still have my car. Car's broke down. Oh, I have another car. Oh, I can call somebody. (laughs) Wonder if somebody has a bike around her. I don't mind walking. It is a great thing. I imagine that that is a very good thing to do. I work from my walk from my parking lot at work every day, back and forth. It's a long way from my parking lot to that work. It takes me five minutes. That's a pretty good walk. It's not a mile or anything, but it feels like it. But enough of that. Well, we're talking. Okay, they went seven miles. They get you know, and they're walking with Jesus. They get to the house. 
right? Okay, seven miles, that's, that's ordinary. What a day it has been. They've heard about Jesus dying, being put in the tomb. Jesus is filling them in on their way back home. While they're walking along on the way to the country, they went away and reported to those, but they did not believe them. They believe what Jesus talks about, but they had troubles too because He talks about the crucifixion, the suffering of Christ, the Messiah, um, the story about the tomb being empty, about the angels, and He opens up the Scriptures. Remember that? This is where you just love this story. Jesus opens up the law opens up the prophets, and with him being the teacher, you can bet he gets right to the points, and his quotes are perfect, his teaching is perfect, and their understanding is now going to be much better than it was before. What a sermon that he gave to them as they walk to the house. They give their guest some bread. He takes it. He had disguised himself that they wouldn't recognize him. He can do that. The good news has been given. Tells him that he's been risen. Verse 13 tells us that the disciples did not believe him either because these guys go back after they hear this and they believe now that after Jesus being convinced, oh foolish of heart, Jesus says, remember that? And then they were opened up to the belief of who Christ is. It was so good. They didn't say, it's been a long day. This is fantastic. This is great. Let's take a rest. Let's sleep for the night. Let's get in there early in the morning and let's go tell the disciples and everybody else. What did they do? They got up and went right back to Jerusalem. How far is that? Seven more miles. That's a pretty good walk. You're not going to get there in ten minutes. It's going to probably take some hours. How long would you think it would take if you were kind of just walking fast? Two and a half hours, is that pretty good? Good to say? Something like that? Okay. So, okay, that's 14 miles. They get there. Guess what? Nobody believes them. (laughs) They're so excited. Mary Magdalene had told them about the news. The other women had experienced seeing the risen Lord tell them them about the Messiah raised. They don't believe either. What is it going to take? What is it going to take? Well... Jesus had already told them that all these things were going to happen. Verse 14. Here's another one that's about the appearing. Afterward, He appeared to the eleven themselves. (laughs) He goes there, right there, finally to them, for all to see. Minus one. Now it says, that he appeared to the eleven. Eventually he does. We know <clears throat> it's really ten. Because Thomas is not there. He will be the next week, but he's not there this time. First time. 
They're rec- but when you see the eleven, you see the twelve. It's the grouping of the, the apostles that we are so familiar with. They're reclining at the table, and he reproached them. Have you seen that before? In other gospels, you might see it a little bit differently. But he, uh, there's a very strong word uh, in some of the translations. He upbraided them, or it meant he took them to task. My version. The NAS says that he uh, reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Eyewitness testimony from people you know who are legitimate, who knew him, who knew him like you did, and you still don't believe them. This just can't happen. What about all the miracles that he'd done before? Why can't they believe? I'll tell you, a hardness of heart is an amazing thing. And we can be hardened, folks. We can be Christians and be believers and have a hardness of heart. And shame on us. We can be rolling along for years and years and start getting a hardened heart. That's a shame. That does not give glory to God. Does not honor Him. This was just uh, unbelievable. You would think they'd at least start thinking, well, you know, there's got to be something to this. We're hearing the witnesses. Jesus Himself talked about that. They refused the evidence. If they had all the evidence they need, they refused to believe, how could they expect others to believe them if they don't preach about the resurrection? That's why, in the book of Acts, one of the greatest testimonies that this Bible is true and that there was a resurrection is that they proclaimed it without anything being held back at all. You'll always see the resurrection in the heart of their message because they believed it. And they believed it so much that they didn't care if they got arrested, persecuted, and even killed. And that's exactly what happened to them. Because they believed, if they didn't believe it, do you think they would have put themselves in those positions? No way. All the way up to this time, they still don't believe it. They refuse to believe it. Now that is hardness of heart. And that is why Jesus reproached them. So it doesn't matter who we are, what we've been doing. Let me tell you, if you have a hard heart, you need to let the Lord come in and His Word come in and reproach you. To reproach me. We need to have soft hearts all the way until we die. And when we look at this, listen, we have not arrived yet. Some of us have been around for a long time. We have not arrived. Don't quit. Don't partially quit. Keep doing what the Lord set you out to do. He gives us the strength. Have you experienced the risen Savior for yourself? Think about that. Eyewitness testimony. 500 witnesses. People saw Him. It's written down. Do people see Him today? No. He has a return that He's going to make. It's called the second coming. 
It's not a third and fourth and fifth and sixth coming, a tenth coming. He is in the heavens. He is God in human form who will come back. We can't go and talk with Him like Peter did, like Mary Magdalene did, like the women did, like John did, like all the other apostles did, and even Thomas. This is my point. We have to take the message by faith. We weren't there. It doesn't happen over and over again. I know we would love to hear of somebody say they saw the risen Lord. People are seeking those stories. But we live by faith and not by sight. People are wondering why aren't things happening like they were in the book of Acts? Because we live by faith and not by sight. We have the completed Word of God. He has revealed Himself in the fullest way. Now the Lord can um, have you can have some experience with Him. I don't rule that out at all. Okay, don't get me wrong, but that's not the norm. He can do that. We, but the thing is, don't go around seeking after experiences that people have had, and they say, "I don't need the Word of God. I have an experience with Him every morning, every time I shave." Jesus is standing right there physically with me, right there in the bathroom. And my question is, oh yeah, what do you do? I just keep shaving. Have you seen the appearances of God in the Old Testament? Did you see what happened with Isaiah when God showed up in the temple? Holy, holy, holy. I'm a sinful man. Peter saw him and he said, oh Lord, get away. I am sinful. We experience our sinfulness, the holiness of God. We just don't pull Him down anytime we want. Like they say, God is supernatural. He can do what He wants. I never limit Him. But I'm telling you, the norm is this. And please remember it because there's all sorts of other stuff out there that is absolutely false. We live by faith. That's our message. All the Gospel that we have, the heart of the Gospel, death, burial, resurrection, Jesus Christ. You know what it is? It is, we believe that because it has been written. It has been told. It's not just an experience, but it's the very Word of God. I wasn't there. I didn't see that resurrection. By the way, they didn't see the act of the resurrection either. But they did see Him as He walked about. They talked with Him after that. But that's not the norm. Do you see people doing that today? When they, as soon as they become a believer, all of a sudden Jesus appears for them and all of a sudden they walk with Him hand in hand and they walk like the Emmaus disciples? That's not, that's not the way that we see it. We live by faith. I can't see the tomb. I can't see those grave clothes. I do see the evidence that's all around me. And you know what one of the greatest evidences is? That we say, well, I want to see something. Sometimes that is our problem. We want to see something. And that is natural. I want to see something. Okay, I want, to, I, want, I want you to see something. Here is what you're going to see. Look around you in this room. You see changed lives. 
I mean lives that have changed dramatically over the course of a few years, decades. They keep changing. I see people all around me who've been bitten by the serpent of sin. All of us are held in bondage. It's an infection that is evident in all lives. We were dead men. And now you look and you see people who are alive. You want to see something? That's the greatest thing you're going to see to Christ Himself. Because lives is what you want to see. You want to focus on those things. Because the Word of God lives forever and His souls that He saved live forever. That's eternal. Everything else is going to be burned up forever. We're still changing. I think that's amazing. You can sit here and you can see yourself and you can see other people and then you realize, you know, sometimes it seems like God is slow, slowly working on us, slowly working on that person over there. Don't worry about them. You don't really have to... If that, if the Lord is with them, I'll tell you what, He's going to make whatever changes are be made. Just think about yourself that needs to be changed. We'll get the right perspective. I look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. The risen Lord. The risen Lord in our life. This is what it is that we see. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are new creatures. What an amazing work that He has done. He's invested Himself into you. That is one of the greatest evidences that the apostles had of the manuscripts of the truth of the Gospel. The Word of God that they had, the evidences were they changed. Peter <laughs> drastically, didn't he? I mean, this man, the way that he talked and went on, you think is the greatest spiritual person that ever lived. And then Jesus put himself in his place and calling, you know, what his name was, you know, before. And then sometimes he's a rock. He's Peter, Petros. Other times he's Simon. But then in the book of Acts, you see him preaching the great sermon. And what he did, what he said, changed totally. Christ in Him. New person. Holy Spirit living in Him. That is great evidence, isn't it? And so you have those 12, you have the 100, 120, you have the 500, and then the 3,000 that are added to the church and other thousands that adds on and their lives were changed and the people who were their family and friends and at their job, if they didn't trust in Christ, then they didn't want any part of you. And then came the persecution. Then came the loss of the job. Then came the kicking out of the family. Losing husband, wife, children. Because you believed in the risen Lord. 
and that continued on and continues today 2,000 years later people are willing to give up if it means mother, father, brother, sister on and on Christ says forget yourself take up the cross follow me means surrendering everything and that's what we do throughout our lives that's what we're about folks we're dying to selves we come here this morning to die to self so that Christ be more and more now there's more to this we've seen the uh, the appearances the evidence that's one of the greatest evidences we have to support the scripture that they have and, and here we go to the last words to the disciples go into all the world preach the gospel of creation now there are others of course in Matthew 28 you know uh, making disciples baptizing them making disciples teaching them to observe all things teaching now, that was in Acts last week on Wednesday. We talked about the teaching of the Word of God. That is what we focus on. Saying, it doesn't get a little old. Don't you want a little, don't you want entertainment? And maybe some kind of little act going on and some kind of uh, dramatic presentations and such. Do we always have to be around the Word of God? Why don't we just be different, you know, and just not do that? Because we already know those stories. Well, if we do that, we might as well just go home because you can get that on TV, probably, you know, or whatever. But here, it's about the Word of God. We can talk about all of our experiences. And those come in handy. That's where the body of Christ is. But we really want to talk about the Word of God. That is what we're focused on, right? Teaching them to observe everything that I've said, Jesus said. So, they have a message. They first start off with the message. It's called the Good News. Preach the gospel. Euangelizo. Preach. Good news. We have good news. We have good news. We are here to edify. We are here to preach that people need the Lord, but we also want to edify them. We don't just leave us hanging in our sin, but we need to be edified, don't we? Preach the gospel. Preach the good news. You know what the good news is in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4? Here's the gospel. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Here's what I received. Paul says how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, not according to my little story, and that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then we can get... Our testimonies are important. I don't delineate that at all. But it starts with the gospel, the saving power of what God does and His sovereignty. It's all about Him and doing that anyway. That's what is of most importance. We start with that. We have a mission field. Go into all the world. Every creature is talking about every individual is made in the sense that there's an image of God that's still there. It's marred. It's corrupted. But the image is still there. We need to see how they can be delivered and that image can only be cleaned up, but the sins can be washed away regardless of their sinfulness. And go to all people regardless of their skin or their religious background or their whatever it is that makes them somewhat different all over the world. The world, that's what it's talking about. All the different people, all the individuals, every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's the idea. 
preach them to all the world. As you go preach, to act as a king's herald. That's the idea. Heralding the message. It's assurance that we know that empowers us that we go as we go into the world or as we go about our business. That's the idea. As you go into the world, as you are in your everyday realm, you are empowered. You are to tell it with your lips. They had it immediately there because they had seen the risen Lord. We're 2,000 years removed from that. So we rely on this. If, if this is not true, then I can tell you anything I want. You can tell me anything you want. And it's okay. It's alright. Oh, there's no heaven, no hell. And that's just really cool too. John Lennon said that. Beware of a lot of those songs that I, that I used to play and I loved so much. You start looking at some of those lyrics that they had. I didn't pay attention to the lyrics. That's what I, that's what I always told people. That I don't pay attention to the lyrics. But I'll tell you what, I was heralding something, whether I want to believe it or not. But a lot of terrible stuff in songs that are out today or back in the 50s, 40s, 60s. It was a little gentler back then. Uh, why do I go into that? I'm just saying anything that you look out in the world, if it's not from a Christian, guess what? There's going to be something there that is not right. You look at it long enough, you're going to see, uh, ooh, look, here's the world view. Here's the Christian view. Almost everything. They can take things all the way up to uh, you know, almost the right point, and then you go, well, 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 well let's, what does the Word say? Compare the Word with what's being said. We have the message. We have the mission field. We know what we're supposed to be delivering. We preach. We preach good news. Right? That's really what our story is. We have other stories we can tell and we can have fun. And hey, here's what I did, you know, this week and last week and such. That's all well and fine. And people need to talk with each other and commune. That's good and like to know what's happening in their realm. But when it really comes down to it, uh, you know, all that stuff really doesn't mean anything. It really comes down to who God is and what He's about, isn't it? And um, it's nice to be able to talk. I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but eventually we're, we're all about the glory of God. And we want to bring everything back into that realm. And uh, he also said there's going to be signs that's going to accompany men, uh, these guys. And it's the apostles. He's, 16 said, He has believed, has been baptized, shall be saved. Baptized is not a work there. Uh, Obviously, we know through other Scripture that can't be it. We do know that it does show that one is obedient and that he's doing this and that was the best way that they could, an early believer could proclaim that he was a Christian. People would see that and they'd go, whoa, uh, look look what he's doing. He's he's one of those. (laughs) And either people would either like that or they wouldn't. Uh, but it, it showed everybody outwardly that they were now a part of the Christian realm. Um, so it, it showed that they were believers. But he says those who have disbelieved, they'll be condemned. The ones who don't believe, there is a judgment. Well, that gets down to the point there too, doesn't it? Well, there's a lot here in this 9 through 20. I'm glad this section's here. <laughs> these signs will accompany those who have believed. These these guys, we see these signs. The signs of an apostle are signs and wonders and miracles. They will accompany these. And it will show that what they say is true. What they wrote down was true. What we have here is legitimate. We know that. It wasn't from some uh, you know, Joe down the street 
Or you got somebody say, well, here's what God told me. And so they put it in there. And another guy said, well, here's what God told me. And so we have a bunch of hearsay and we just add on to Revelation 22. We have 2,000 years of that and say, well, God's not finished with His revelation. Well, no, He's not because He's going to come back. But until now, I mean, until then, right now, we have His complete revelation. It's called the Word of God. Everything that you have for life and godliness, it is told to us, you have. It's right here. We don't have to seek any other books, some kind of other religions to add on to this. We don't have to go out and, and seek Buddhism and Muslim. Well, they might have some of this too, and you know, they, maybe they they have some experiences with God too, and so you know, I can accept that. We have everything we need. Nothing else needs to be added to this. Isn't that great to know? I have more than enough right here for the rest of my life. I can't waste all my time checking out other sources that, hey, I need to believe this too. Here it is. This is it. We have it in front of us. I've got to close this out. And it it is right here at the end now. They pick up serpents. Okay, you know they'll do. Uh, oh, they pass out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. We we see that in in Acts. We see it carried out. They'll pick up serpents, and that did happen to uh, to Paul. And if they drink any deadly poison, there we go. That's uh, must have happened. So, you know, somewhere along the line, they didn't know it's poison. I wouldn't go around drinking poison and say, "Well, God will deliver me." Uh, that's presuming on His uh, providence. It will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Those, those are true. Those things happen there. Wraps it up with this. And he doesn't, they don't stop in this. They say, okay, yes, and he did ascend. Uh, Mark, you didn't, you didn't talk about that. So, no. so then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. They went out, preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Did you have that in your Bible there? Do you guys, did you have that? Some do, some don't. There was another one. I think they called the short version. Of that was that enough. Uh, and it's in brackets too. So some have it, some don't, right? Interesting. But, hey, I read that, and, and it's true too. The idea is that after His appearances, He was received up into heaven. That's where He's at right now. He went to heaven. He is sitting on the throne. He sat down because it is finished. A priest's work is done. Never in the temple because they stood standing up and moving. They could never sit down. No chairs there. But the throne in heaven, Jesus' work was finished. He is done. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He ascended. He's the crucified one that went there. He went back to heaven as the crucified Lamb of God. He ascended as a conquering, eternal general. The general has made his victory. He invaded the territory of the enemy. That's all of sin that we had. He just ransacked that uh, and then spoiled his enemy. 
and then return to victory into his own city. How about that, huh? He is the conquering one. He is the consoling one because when he got there, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to us to comfort us. The Comforter. He sent His Spirit in the world to indwell in us. What a miracle. The Holy Spirit of God indwells in me and indwells in you and indwells in all of us because it says the church has Him residing in us and in each one of us. He's the confessing one as He intercedes right now for us. When we don't pray like we ought to pray and we fall short of that, how many feels guilty of that? Boom! Right up here, folks. He's saying the prayer that needs to be said to finish that off. He's interceding. The great high priest continues. He ever lives to make intercession. Even though His work was done at the cross, still yet He intercedes for us now at the throne of God. He is our mediator. He is the confirming one. He has the guarantee of our presence in heaven someday. He's there. We will be there. He is the coming one. He also promised that He would come again. You know what the implications are for the saint? Because of what Jesus did. Heaven is no longer just the home of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and of countless angels. The door of heaven has been opened up just like that veil that was ripped from top to bottom. Every person who will trust in Jesus as being their Savior will go victoriously through that gate the implications of the ascension. As He goes up there, we will too ascend. The Gospel message has not changed in 2,000 years and we have the privilege of taking the same message unchanged. Same message the disciples preached. We can take that same 2,000 year old message to the world today. All around us are the lost, the dying, and they need to hear Jesus made a way. Jesus made the way for people to be saved. This is His command. It's our mission. He's the Master. And He'll ever be with us. He stands with us. He empowers us. And it's all for His glory. He wants to use us for His glory. And we don't do anything alone. We do it with Him there. And we do it with others in Christ. That's why a local body is so important. It's not just a place to go out on the golf links or out to the lake on the boat and do those kind of things. It's about a place that is happening. Because Christ is in each one. The Holy Spirit's there. And um, we know that His Word has been confirmed to us. And He's still in heaven. He's still praying for His people today. The Spirit of God is found in His people confirming. The Holy Spirit is confirming the preaching of the Word of God. He saves lost souls. The church is still here telling the lost world that Jesus saves. 
church is still here, worshiping here, which is the most important thing you can do in life, is to worship Him. And I can't think of a more grand or glorious way than getting with God's people who I love so much and learning to love even more and more. What a privilege it is to get up here and stand and talk about this. I can't think of anything else better in all the world to do. And to have that privilege to be amongst God's people and to proclaim that, why would I want to be anywhere else except for heaven? You guys are precious. We're still here. So as long as we're here, we have lost souls to preach to. We have souls that are brothers and sisters who need to be edified. We got edified last week, last Wednesday, week before, week before that. We're edified. We're being built up by each other. As we see what the Lord is doing, we get to, we get to proclaim that. Hey, you know, sometimes it means just just little things. May not necessarily always have to use the word Lord in it. We know that, but uh, isn't it a, a great opportunity also to talk about His glory? What does His ascension mean for us? What does the death mean for us? What does the burial mean for us? The resurrection and the ascension. We get the whole story there, and there we have it. The book of Mark has just been finished. And now I will have to contemplate through the week what we're going to do next week. And so be praying about that because I'm sure the Lord has a message for us and He wants that message to keep being proclaimed. One thing we know for sure, the Gospel lives on and we praise this Almighty God. We uh, prepare your hearts for coming to the table as we have done the Gospel. Thank you.
Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your table. As we take all this in, as the church worships you, all for your honor, and this wine and the bread, all has been welcomed to come and partake and accept this. Bread is the body and the wine is the blood. And the one who provides them is true. Lord, You freely offer. We freely receive. We accept and believe everything that You do. And may we taste of Your glory. In Your Son's name, Amen. Amen. have the band pick up their elements as they come along and I'll have this side.